All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi there. Merry Christmas. I'm Tyler Uremchuk. This is Nation Real Life, and as you can tell, it's very quiet here in the Nation Real Life studio in the basement of Little Brick, and it appears that I'm the only one who remembered we have a podcast to record, and just because it's Christmas Eve doesn't mean we get a day off work. So I sit here alone, quietly, wondering what I'm going to do for the next hour. And what I've decided to do is put together a best of episode with three of my favorite interviews from the past year. None of the other guys have a say in what interviews are going into this because they didn't show up. Of course, I can't forget that we need to give some love to our good friends at Jappa Machinery, and it's a holiday season for Jappa as well, but the deals will be back in the new year, and they'll be back and better than ever. Don't forget, you can check them out on their Instagram, Jappa underscore machinery, jappamachinery.com as well. They had a great Christmas jingle that we played on our last episode that I will not replay for you now, but uh, all, all it takes is a quick scroll through their Instagram to Feel the family environment that they have at Jappa. And if you need equipment, you know you need to go to Jappa. So I have three, well, they're roughly between 20 and 30 minute clips of our interview with Eric Griba, the now retired Oilers defenseman. We talked about some great things, including his massive goal against the LA Kings that sent the Oilers to the playoffs. I have about 30 minutes of a conversation with Kelly Buckberger, which is fantastic as well. But probably the most fun I've had recording a podcast this year is when we had former Oilers defenseman Ladislav Schmid in studio over the summer. He came in, pulled up in a very nice Ford F-150 blacked out truck, and he gave us roughly three hours of fantastic stories about being an Oiler, about being traded, and many more. If you haven't listened to the full interview, there's two parts. You can find them in our archives now. But here's 30 minutes where he started off just 
telling us some good old hockey stories, and he ended it with some optimism on the Oilers' future. So when you were going to be part of the Danny Heatley trade, mm-hmm. remember that was like hanging in the atmosphere, and we didn't know. Did you ever get to see the DVD they made for Danny Heatley? Oh, my God. No. So the Oilers made Danny Heatley a DVD during this schmozzle <laughs> where you were going to get traded. Yeah. And it was like, this is Edmonton. And we heard about it, but no one's ever seen the DVD. You've never... Ne- no, never. I... D- I d- I didn't even know about DVD. You didn't know the DVD? No. Well, they- I just one morning I, I woke up and my agents like my agent texted me like you might get traded for Danny Heatley. What was it? Me, Penner, and you and Penner. Are you were linked to some crazy big yeah. names. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, fuck. They were trying to convince him to waive his no trade. When yeah. this trade came down, he they he wouldn't waive his no trade. So the DVD was them trying to persuade him to, to waive the no trade. trade. Yeah. Oh, I bet you that DVD. I met that. I met. I uh, met Heather at uh, Tom Gilbert's wedding. Fuck, we had some laughs about it. We're like, it. it's always you for me. Like, yeah. Because here's it's the like, trade. We traded one for one for Here's the trade. It would have been. Uh, it was. It was Laddie, Andrew Cogliano, and Dustin Penner in exchange for Danny Healy. Like, I almost say thank God we didn't get him. Man, thank God. Auto wins that trade. Oh, every day. Every day. Yeah. I bet you Danny Heatley's one of those guys that's somewhere with a Ferrari, and he's just like, yeah, no, Probably it's is. fine. I'm Hell fine. of a guy, too. Yeah? yeah I'd, I liked him. I met him a couple times. I liked him. But how did, you, of... how did you feel, like, once you heard that this it's weird. was weird? Like, it it must have been to... a weird month. Yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, you're, then, to, they, you're a good try... oiler. Why are they doing this to you? Yeah, but Danny Heatley, like, hell of a player, man. Like, I don't know. Mm. Like, it's business. Is, that, I, is, I don't, it, I, is it hard to buy in on the one hand and, like, block a shot with your teeth? But then the other hand, be like, oh, well, they're going to maybe trade me and they let me hang. It, it has to be. But it's like, fuck. It's hard. I see both. I see both sides. You know, Just, you're trying to make your team better. And, and this is, you firmly believe it's going to make your team better and you're going to win the Stanley Cup with this guy. Fuck. I guess you got to go with that. Sometimes it works, though. Sometimes it doesn't. Like, you never know until you do it. How do they not know he's not going to? Wave the no trade though. How does this even yeah, come out? How does the that, structure that, break down so hard that, is crazy, that this yeah. actually happens? The, the the way it happened, like you just explained or described, that's fucking crazy. Nuts. It's nuts. You know, but for me, when I'm talking about like just a straight business and if it would be done the proper way, like that's, that's bad fine. business. That, yeah, that's bad business. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a company that's like having real breakdown. Yeah, in I, their structure of how they do simple things. DVD, like I would love to see. The I would DVD. give anything to see this DVD. It's like somebody sailing it's on the boat. It's gotta be on YouTube. Like, right? it's like oh, you don't think this is? It's probably on YouTube Edmonton. Kids. To be yeah, honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Edmonton is a population of nine hundred and eighty thousand. And if you look to your right, there's the Hotel McDonald. They were trying to sell him on the fucking lower taxes, no? Probably at that time. Right? Fuck. Yeah. And West Edmonton Mall, all the all the nice showrooms. Beautiful. The theme rooms, oh, a great man. water park, yeah, great oh, fucking water indoor park. Roller coaster. Oh my How could I god! Lose, says Danny Heatley. Oh, was on. it weird to come back to work though? Like coming back to Edmonton after they were trying to move you and it didn't go through? Like was that is is that weird or you it's, just got to move on? It's weird, but yeah, as soon as the the I have arrived here, it was kind of out of my well. Media asked me about it, but I kind of brushed it off. Like you're focusing on the season, like whatever happens happens. Like like I said, it's part of the business you know and i understand it better now than i did back then but i think i handled myself pretty well you were a pro yeah. i remember you know, like, like you were it, very classy the whole way you know, through. like it, it happens like i again i would be sad well even devastated almost but didn't happen fucking you know 
So it's back to work. Back to work. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when you got traded to the Flames, and I think, did they open the season the next year at the Battle of Alberta? Or like very quickly, Fuck we I saw know. you in a Flames jersey. Yeah. And we're being like, well, ain't that some fucking shit? It, do you know how, how weird it what, what was? It? When, I walk, when I walked into the arena and you go left instead of right? At, at oh. Rexall. At yeah. Rexall. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Then you, then you go like, you know, from the Zamboni. Oh, through yeah. the Zamboni door. Like, yeah. Fuck. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the same fucking game. Uh, Mike Camilleri, uh, they forgot to put his steel in his skates. He was falling all like, around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck it's, and he 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 did his like little fucking quick feet run and like jump on the ice and like boom face plant. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I started laughing. I was like, holy! I couldn't even I couldn't even help him how hard I was fucking laughing. So that took my fucking mind off of things. And then you come right before the game, right before the anthems. You come like it's dark right in, at the arena. So I walked in. I did like a fucking hot lap. Didn't see the fucking cable from the TV. Oh, Fucking no. trip over it. Head first into the boards. I was like, guys, some guys saw it, but thank God it was dark, so not too many people saw oh. it. It's like fucking like, I had like... The same game Camilleri had yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's was, mayhem. Yeah, it was a fucking... Uh, I jinxed... I fucking jinxed myself. It was a fucking karma, man. Yeah, it was crazy. I just pulled up the uh, trade article from the day that you were moved to... Calgary on yeah. our website on OilersNation.com and one of the first comments is we just traded away a grit and ornery guy that is a massive step back for the organization looking through these comments people were mad man nobody was happy he got traded laddie everybody well, was team either. speed I wasn't happy either guys like I, I love I still love it here obviously I could come back and, well, you're sitting here in Little Brick yeah. right now that tells yeah. a lot yeah and I'm from Checkman. <laughs> long way home man but I, I love Edmonton like people can say what they want you know fucking cold whatever fuck I have some real friends. I built build up some great relationships, and it's always gonna be part of me now. So, if you were making a video for the Danny Healy, if you worked for the Oilers, what would be the top five things that you would put on that thing? Good for question, Chalmers. Yes, well done. Very good, good job. Question. Yeah, I like this podcast. Yeah, top five things. Or just one of the things you love about Edmonton, right? Yeah, the water park we know. The people, probably. Uh, Joey's Jasper app. Well, no, hey, let him now local. Yeah, don't give him all five things. Yeah. For for sure, for sure, people. Uh, I obviously when when things didn't go well, like you know, they give you sometimes hard times. But mostly, I it was all positive, and they still sell out the fucking building, even though team is going through some shit. So that uh, obviously that the the city. It's been a lo- long, you know, long battle. You know, making playoffs, not making the playoffs. But they still kind of they support you. They still stand behind you. Yeah. Uh, what else? Landmarks. It, you said water park earlier. You said it was great. It's it's great. <laughs> it's great. I, like honestly, new arena, new arena. What do you think of the new arena? It's fucking sick. And and like, I would I would try to sell them on that. You know, like the the downtown is changing. I think great idea. It helped downtown big time. And you can live in a well, tower and yeah. just walk across a sky bridge. Exactly. And be in the arena. Like it's so convenient for people. Have you been in the new dressing room? I haven't, but no. I, I need to go. I have to, I, I have to. That's can so you cool. Just, you can just say, I'm going to go there and they'll can you just you roll up to Roger's place and be like, I would once to, an oiler, always an uh, oiler. Assholes. <laughs> may, I, I would have to text one of the yeah. equipment managers. Uh, I don't like, it's honestly great to raise your family here. I feel like, uh, 
like but i'm f- i'm from czech we don't have that many fucking play parks and all, all that shit you know like but it's very important like when now i have family actually lots to do like i can take them uh like i said play parks a lot, lot of a lot of fields and like kids can be out oh out. every neighborhood has a spray yeah. park a play park like great fields for soccer tons of baseball you know like i think it's a very family friendly yeah. city and then yeah and then i would sell him on some bars probably the oh, pint, the pint. All of you them. say the pint fucking on the rocks on the rocks yeah i I went to Mercer a few times. The bars have changed, hey? It's not like it used to be back in the day. Like, these little kids. The ranch is closing. I I heard. Can you believe that? What a shame. Unbelievable. Well, was it the ranch when you were here? It was. Oh, yeah. It was ranch, but what was the Iron Horse. Iron Horse. What a place that was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Always, like, standing behind the bar was awesome. Oh, that place is great. They had a guest bartender there in the middle of the night. Yeah, it was unreal. Yeah, yeah. And did, like, when was... No, that was way before him. Like Rum Jungle and Bourbon Street. And Rum stuff. Jungle. Oh, I remember Rum Jungle. Do you remember up? I remember. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That was almost yeah, yeah. dangerous place, though. Yeah, it wasn't great. There was, there was some fights there outside. Well, oh, you got to get in a fight at Rum Jungle. You weren't even trying. Yeah. That was the old time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's garbage, guys. Yeah. You had to leave. You had to leave at about 145. If you were in that open section in the front yeah. with the, that had the big slope to it when the lights came on, oh, man, it wasn't hard to get catch a look the wrong way yeah. in that place. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Red, some reds. good places. Go play bowling, go bowling at Reds. Edmonton changed mm-hmm. a lot, though. Like, when you come back home now, do you look and go, like, oh, geez, this is not the same like city so ma- Yeah, so many, like, nice and upcoming areas, and it's getting more modern. The restaurant scene's changing a lot, too. Yeah, and, you know, I love I love Calgary. When, when, you, when you go, you know, on the 17th or, like, a Stevens Avenue, like, you have these like little local restaurants not too many chain restaurants and it's all local and i i feel like it's coming here too and it's good to see I, like i'm big food fanatic are you i love i love food yeah and i love to cook like i love to bake for kids and even bake man fuck learn baking that is a shocking piece do you, of do you go back to calgary for the stampede every year i went i went for the first time last yeah. year because i was here right. so i went you think? Crazy. Did you like, take it all? Did I start going like crazy? And I was with with Johnny Hockey too. Oh, oh wow. child, my God! Going to the stand. How'd you walk through Elvis? that place? Yeah, with Elvis. Yeah, <laughs> with Elvis. It was yeah. Little Elvis. Little Elvis. Elvis. Little Elvis. Fucking cra- crazy, crazy. Uh, but it was good to see. Good yeah, experience. You know, like I like to have fun, and it, it was good. Like it's it's good for a city. You know, it generates a lot of money, and like it's 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 a lot of fun. Yeah, like I'm not huge in fucking rodeo or no, but that yeah, that's, that's the thing about the no stampede. Nobody yeah, there is uh, cowboy yeah. for three days. Fucking, yeah. yeah, you exactly. buy a cowboy hat for th- yeah. seven days of the year. Yeah, yeah. wear them at the stampede. What were Flames fans like as a flame? Like we're Oilers fans. We know realistically we're the same people, but we hate them. Like how are Flames fans to deal with those? Uh, different. So than so fans? yeah, it, it is a little different because here, this is like a hard hard working city. You know, like a lot of hard working people. So people are more more I'd say vocal. Uh, that there is more white color, but they still support you to death. Like they love their flames. Yeah, but it's not as. I guess almost I'd say like personal. Like I don't know how to explain it. It's like, can I try? Yeah. So <laughs> can I tell you? Let us know. No, I want to see. I want to see if you agree with this. Yeah. So there, they're a little bit more like business savvy, it, and they and they want and they and they think it might be a little too cool to be like passionate about. The Oilers or the, or the it, Flames, it, but they are here. 
little more, you know, blue collar, and it's yeah, it, it's a acceptable. Little, yeah, exactly. But so but I did it. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. That, I think I, I agree with that. I think uh, Edmonton Edmontonians probably work harder to pay for their tickets, so they feel a closer connection to the players. Probably want that closer connection. Where like in Calgary, it's like more corporate and like more like these tickets just come to them because their company bought them. So it's not like it's deep rooted. Yes, they but, want to. But, but they, they, they support you fucking like It's like, it's crazy there too at times. Yeah. Well, playoffs. Yeah. I'm sure. it, 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 but it's more personal here. It's more on a personal basis here. Like people, like, I don't want to call them blue collar people. Fuck. It's like disrespectful almost. Not at all. I think I'm, I know what yeah, you mean. Like, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Ourselves. It's more like it's, it's like personal. Like they're betting with their own money. Yeah, they're buying they're, Oilers hats with their own cash. Yeah, this guy who fucking makes like three hundred thousand a year, fucking like corporate guy or whatever. He probably doesn't feel like totally comfortable going up to you and fucking being like friendly or like whether it's like that doesn't feel comfortable or or it's too cool. I I don't yeah. know. But here, like. I, People just fucking, they see us like, hey, what's up, man? Is it you? Like, you know, it's like really friendly, like really personal. Yeah. Yeah. I think Oilers can be heroes, right? And like, there's certain players that cross the divide from like people like you to be like, you're a hero, right? I would put you in the hero category, right? That guy. Smitty. Yeah. He was a hero here. Yeah. Smitty's car could break down in 2070 on Jasper Avenue. And old Smitty will get out of his car and like people are like, it's Smitty. And he still has a mullet. <laughs> yeah. They'll come running out to fix his car <laughs> Seriously. for him. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Some I, I Oilers, agree. I think, cross that line. I would put you in that camp. I would no. put you. Yes. Maybe not at a Smitty level, but you're in the camp of the Smitties of like guys who came to Edmonton and bought in. And did what was required to get the job done for sure. Like, I appreciate all, that all people we, recognize that man. Hemsky's another guy like that too, oh, right? Oh, he's, yeah. Hammer, Hammer, paid Hammer the love, fucking price for yeah. years. Hammer loves Edmonton again. Another guy who's got a lot of lot of friends. I love Hammer. Great guy. Fuck. You still talk to him in in the off seasons or however. I haven't I haven't talked to him for a while now. But like we, we used to, I have to reach out to him. He's this fucking cool fucking Dallas lifestyle fuck. <laughs> fucking probably eating fucking green shit. Fucking I don't know. Is he a health guy now? Is that what he's doing? Yeah, he was turning into that stuff. Fuck, I don't know. I hope he still drinks beers. Fuck. That guy paid the price so oh God, many nights yeah. to be an oiler. Oh, yeah. But I would include you in that same camp, right? Like, there's guys that come through and you look like... Steve Stales is one of those guys. Jason Smith is one of those guys. Matt Hendricks is one of those guys. Sean Horkoff. Sean Horkoff. Yeah, Sean... Yeah. <laughs> so you, how, what did you think of Sean Horkoff? Good job, Chalmers. You're on fire again. Again, one of my favorite people in hockey. Uh, tons of respect for him. For normal guys like us that don't know Sean Horkoff from other than what we see very, on TV, what was he like? Very determined, intelligent guy. Very intelligent guy. Can't stress that enough. Uh, determined, hardworking guy. Always wanted to. Always wanted to get better. So whatever the fucking. He would do anything to make himself a better athlete or better hockey player. So he would fucking buy whatever fucking it took to make yourself better or train different programs or like stay up to date with where like a Chelios, a fitness machine, right? Yeah, like yeah, like really, but really smart and um, yeah, one of my probably my favorite captain I had. Like seriously, I I really I really like Hork. Like, that's interesting. Yeah, that's what makes cool. a good captain? Lead, lead by example doesn't have to even fucking talk that much even though he would have few words but just 
I think you're like born to be captain. It's not like you either have it or you don't. And I, I feel like he had it just whatever he did, he did it right. Like you can't have fucking like from production standpoint, like like point wise, you, you don't have to have, uh, you know, some seasons are better, some are worse, but he showed up every night and he wanted to, I think he was, you, you could use him in any role. He was a hardworking guy. He could produce points. Uh, that, that's just the hockey side, but like off off ice, you could go to him. It wasn't like weird talking to him. Like young, older guy, you could talk to him about anything. He always stood up for his teammates, even against coaches or management. Always told what told them what what the team felt like and what we wanted. And a lot of respect for him, man. And it's really weird how Sean Horkoff was like a late draft pick. And like got better every single year in the NHL because of because of that because work ethic work ethic because you're trying you first of, I think you're trying to fucking uh, you're trying to prove like that you you were you you're you're trying to prove people wrong that you were late drafted fuck why like he he didn't play like a late no draft no pick. but he got every yeah, year you know, he improved and every year work ethic and and just. Uh, like I mentioned, he's very smart. So he knew that he he needs to stay stay uh, updated on everything like that's going going on with training and and that that was the thing like with him like always every fucking year like he would come and he would bring a new thing or talk to the conditioning coach uh, about hey did you hear about this like it's can it make us better or make me better and like that's how he went every year every year. So I think that helped him a lot to getting better and better. It's crazy. Like, so he does the cup run and he's unreal. He got so many points in that cup run in 06, right? Great two-way player. Signs the big ticket deal. This is like the first time the others can afford their star, right? <laughs> and they're like, you know what? We're going to make our bet on Sean Horkoff. I think, I can't remember what the deal was. It was like six years or something like that. It was an amazing contract. And then he went to the All-Star game in his first year into this big contract. Trip fell and blew he, his shoulder. He, he, yeah. At he, the All-Star game. I know. How crazy it's like that? the the climb to get into the NHL, and then took him to the pinnacle of his yeah. career at the All Star Game with like a six year deal in his back pocket, and that's when it came down. Yeah, it it's it sucks, but yeah, fuck. I guess it was supposed to happen. I you know it it sucks, but but he was a great leader, great great leader, and again, like he was in that group with all all these guys. Like he was a little younger than Ethan Morrow or Jason Smith or Stevie Steos. But still, he was in that group. Like Fernando Pisani was a great guy. I think too. the common trend that they all have is that they quietly do the right thing. Exactly. Exactly. And like, you would never like hear them fucking complain too. No, much you do or, things behind you know? closed doors with certain yeah, people. Exactly. You know, you always are doing in every situation, in every learning position or, or time that there is, they're doing the right thing in the right way. Yeah. So that people respect and it's them just and go like they're not even trying. Not even it's trying, effortless yeah. because it's part of you. Like like I said, you're born with that. You know, you can you can get better at that. You can learn a few things, but I think when a lot make, of when it's, you make it's a like, mistake, right? Yeah. Like when maybe you call it the wrong guy yeah. at the wrong time, you get too emotional in a situation, and that's what you go. You know, th you think about how I could have done that better, yeah. Oh, yeah. and then you do it better the next but time, it, and people realize just it. like in a real life, right? Like you're trying to be always yeah, like a better a safe, person like and grow as a person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, totally. I uh, I remember a story about Hork because you're talking about his preparation and always wanted to be better and smart and like student of the game. 
I remember reading an article that he spent the off season. He went to the, the Easton Stick Factory in like Mexico yeah. for like two weeks because he wanted to like make the perfect they stick make, for himself. They make Eastons in Mexico. Well, they did at the time. No, that's yeah. awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Warrior so, 2, I think it was. Yeah. So he went there because he wanted to like get like the perfect kick point and the curve. Yeah. Like He went and invested the time. I, I don't doubt that. Yeah. He was that kind of guy. He was that kind of guy. Like the latest of the latest shit. Fuck, he would have it. Is it that's but, what you meant when you said he buys the stuff. Like he always had, he was always wanted to be on the cutting edge. Eh? Yeah. Like seriously. Yeah. Because like, he wanted the, it. The determination was incredible. Like to, to become better and better. and But... Like he would share it with us too. Like he would like try to help us. It wasn't like he would just keep it for himself. Like it was like, it was like a real leader. Like trying to make the fucking team better. And yeah, I. Where's he now? Do you know what he's doing? Detroit players development. Player yeah. development in Detroit. Yeah. I think Uncle Ken might try and find a way oh, to bring one. Rumor has spot. it Uncle Ken wants to bring one. <laughs> that would uh, that would be great for the Oilers. Speaking like, of Oilers captains, I just have to ask as 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 that guy, what do you think of our new captain uh, number ninety seven? Connor, have you heard of Connor McDavid and uh, perhaps his, Mike Jesus? Uh, yeah, hey, that's Jesus. right. We invented that. It's fucking unreal. <laughs> that like I I don't know him and I. Personally, I, I don't know how he's as a captain or leader. Like, is there a little party that once they, an Oilers, always an Oilers that's watching this? I would love. Like, oh I, shit! I like watching Oilers just because. Well, not just because of him. Well, I like. I always. I want. I want Calgary to do well. I want Oilers to do well. It's like, like having two you, kids. You, you love you them know, both. Like, and secretly, you too love bad the they hate better. each other. But but just like watching him Honestly, and watching dry side they even hate it. each other anymore I, I i feel like the only people who get amped up for battle of alberta games now are the announcers <laughs> honest to god they're like boy oh boy the battle of alberta and yeah. fans are like, it's like yeah it's it's not this, like i mentioned Lucic punched smith in the head two years ago yeah. at the end of the season that was pretty that was like the highly the battle of alberta since your days Fuck. yeah like the Lucic popped the goalie in the head and we all went nuts That's that was it. it yeah it's yeah it's fine. don't get me started <laughs> we have to we have to try. uh yeah, where were we? McDavid. Yeah, yeah. McDavid. Uh, like he has those same aspects as a quiet, does everything the right way, the quiet way. Yeah, I, I, I guess, but I can imagine like somebody giving me C at that young early age. age. Now, now it's now it's like the trend. Um, I don't know if it's wrong or right. I don't know. Like he, he's the best player in the league, in my opinion. Uh, do you think maybe they gave it to him just because there was yeah face no of a franchise second option yeah at that I, time, I, I, get, I guess but I, I still feel like you need like like a veteran group around you to yeah. help you and grow as a captain and leader I I think he's gonna be a great captain but so much pressure which he handled well like being in this you know it's it's he's not, been Connor McDavid since he was like ten right? yeah he was he was yeah. Uh, He's I think pre- I think he was prepared for it. Like they, they were preparing him for this his whole life. Yeah. They knew you, you you see him on the ice. They knew right away, right? There's so many crazy stories though. Like when he first came into the league and he was in training camp, he took a really crappy training camp number. Hmm. And they were talking about like when you make the team. He's like, no, 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 no. If I make the team, like he, I remember his first year in the league, he wouldn't really make any comments on other players in the league. They'd ask him. I like interviews. that. Respectful. He's very respectful. He's a very humble guy. Yeah. Right? That that's yeah. And that's who you're gonna. That's who you're gonna follow as 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 a teammate, right? Like that's a leader. Like you want the guy have that aspect. And then, uh, I I cannot. I I don't know if he's good captain or, or or not. Like I never talked to anyone about him really. Like I just see him on the ice and fuck. He does some shit though. 
fuck me. Like, <laughs> are you, I'm are glad you I'm out of the player? fucking yeah. league. Like, <laughs> it's it's insane. And like him and Drysaddle together, it's. What just, do you think of Drysaddle? Fuck. Well, when he first got drafted, everybody's like questioning his fucking skating and shit. Like, fuck, <laughs> not. Not, not issue, not issue at all. And but when he, when eighteen year old, he was already big and strong. And I was like, "Fuck, this guy's gonna be a fucking beast." And just he is. He's yeah. and he's smart too. So like he thinks the game well. This everybody's like talking about like you have to be fucking super fast or super skill. I think fucking you gotta think the game. Like you can if you're dumb. Like so many players fucking didn't make it. They had the skill. They had the speed. They had the strength. If you don't think the game well. You're not gonna be in the NHL because most other guys can think the game well. All, almost all of them who are in the NHL, and yeah, I think he's just a he's a stud. And like he's like fucking like he protects the puck. He can fucking skate with the puck in, in the offensive zone for fucking thirty seconds and the, and won't let the fucking defenseman touch it because he's just so strong and uses his edges well and with his head up. Like they got like. Yeah. Do you think the oil? And, and I realize this is like quasi conflict of interest, but like, do you think the oil can turn it around? Do you think we're going to be okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah? I, I think so. Can with, you tell with, me the with, story of how it's going to be okay? I'd like to hear. I, it from I, you I'm not the manager, so I, I don't know. But they just they, they need few pieces. Uh, not gonna go into details, but I I, be, I believe they they brought Ken Holland and, and uh, Dave Tippett now too. Yeah, that's I I. I know a lot of people who played for him, and I didn't hear anything bad about him. Like Good they, communicator. They sh- yeah, they should have tried to bring him earlier. I feel like he was. Well, ava- we've had only eight coaches in the yeah, last. Yeah, he was. Years he was whatever. available. Like I, he did. He did some good things in Arizona, and uh, yeah, that was his latest gig. But yeah, uh, and obviously, uh, Holland had a lot of success with with Detroit and. I believe they can turn it around. It's crazy I, I, that I, I, GMs I, make five million dollars now. Hey, yeah. can you imagine that? Yeah, five it, years, twenty-five million US. It's it's nice, Ooh. but if he can if he can turn it around, yeah, I worth mean, every penny. I, yeah, worth every penny. And uh, other teams turn it around. Why why can Oilers turn it? Look around? at the Blues. Yeah, last in the league this year, and now they're yeah. in the Cup Finals. Like I I believe that. Like, I I know it's probably hard for Oilers fans to believe that because every year is the same. Same song about, you know, we gotta be better, we gotta be better, but... Lottie Schmid was a straight-up beauty. Love that talk with former Oilers D-man Laddie Schmid. And my second favorite interview of the year that we did on Nation Real Life was without a doubt with an Oilers legend, Kelly Buckberger. And again, if you haven't listened to the full episode, I urge you to go back. But if you want the Coles Notes version of it, this 36-minute uh, span here of our roughly two-hour interview with Kelly Buckberger. Sum things up nicely. There's some good moments in here. Give it a listen. So you've been involved in the NHL. You are talking about a little bit, little bit earlier, like the transition from... It's just the, the game has evolved huge now. It's, it's a business. Uh, I remember when I first started the Oilers, I think they had maybe 10, 15 people work in the office, maybe. And now, uh, what is there, 300, 300 or two, yeah, 250, yeah. 300. And it's just amazing the monster they've built here. And you know what, even though we've had some lean years here in Edmonton and the fans have been just unreal, like the most dedicated fans, I, I probably think in the league, I'll be a little biased about everything, but you know, we haven't had the success that we want, but the fans are there every night. And you know, you hear people 
Rumble in the golf course or in the lounges. On that, the internet, as that we do, I'm going to yeah. give my season tickets up, but they don't. No, they, they don't. never do. I think like so. I started watching. I'm making about myself now, Chalmers. I started shoveling. Boy, all, see you're getting it. Shoveling all my neighbors' snow, <laughs> Mr. Bugburger. Shoveled all my neighbors' snow. Now it's thirteen. Mr. Bugburger. One season. <laughs> Fucking show respect. Not my best friend. You piece of shit. Let me finish my story. It's okay, a nice go. story, Chalmers. It is a great story. You probably story. aren't around positive conversation much because you're so fucking about All you, right. I got Snow shit. shovel seasons. Bought a season ticket to the Oilers, 1994. Shoveled all my neighbor's snow. Went with my old grandma. She was 88. I was 14. Okay. So I got involved in 94, right? That's like the lean years, right? And it was astounding to me how you guys picked it up from 94, like a low point, to 97, 98. We're in the playoffs. We're, we're shooting and scoring. Like, this is good times are, are happening all around us through to about 0203 and you left to go to the Thrashers in 2000. And I remember being like, well, shit, if Kelly Buckberger is leaving in the goddamn expansion draft, we are fucked because who the hell lets their captain bounce in an expansion draft? What was going to Atlanta like? Because you've, you've talked about coming to the Oilers and there's like a winning culture. How hard was it to go to Atlanta and establish in a non-NHL city an NHL franchise? Well, it was a little disappointing because uh, I think I was only 29 at that time or 30. And the others pretty much just give me away for nothing. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah. it was for nothing. Now, Were you like, we can talk about this now. Statute of limitations. Were you mad? I was fucking mad as shit. Well, actually, I never got a phone call from Slots till later on. And he goes, hey, Kelly, I know you're, you're you know that uh, you're going to get picked up by Atlanta and, and going on. And I was like, well. Why? And he goes, well, we're moving, you know, like they always say, we're going in a different direction. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, he goes, good luck with everything. And it was a really short call. But when I got there, uh, I, Atlanta, if you've ever been in Atlanta, you fly into the airport. The airport is gigantic compared to Edmonton. Yeah. Like it's huge, huge. And then the traffic. The traffic is unbearable. And that was back in year 2000. You're not moving at all. And we ended up, Going and finding a house, we bought a house there. But it was it was the the team was unreal. We had a good general manager with Donnie Waddell. We had a, a rookie coach with Kurt Fraser, and we had a lot of misfit guys all over the place that were filling guys in the NHL. And we had just a, a terrible, terrible season. We I left. I got traded at the deadline. We only had twelve wins at that time, and they finished with thirteen. They got one left. Like it was, it was just, it was hard for everybody. And it was so hard for the players and the coaches, but it was probably harder for the organization um, for everybody because, you know, they sold out, but we weren't getting the results that they wanted to. And then uh, it was a great place to live. We raised, you know, we lived there for a year. But the thing is, you know, is still every day I'd watch. Look at the Oilers. Okay, well, how are they doing? Who's scoring? What's going on? I was more of an Oiler back then uh, than I was a Thrasher. It's so, it's so oh. interesting oh that you. Yeah, I know. It's so I would listen to this podcast if it was available. <laughs> it's interesting that you went through an expansion with Moose Jaw. They were a new team. You said when you started with them, then you become a staple on a team for like twelve years. You're just you know it's consistent, and then all of a sudden you're like right back to that expansion. Did it did, did it remind you back then? Did you have to think about like okay, this is what we have to do again? This is the leadership I got to bring or you was know, it just totally different? It was totally different. It was just one of those things like it, we brought guys in from all over the place, so no one played with each other at all. And so I think every team was a, had to give up one player. Like So I can't remember the rule yeah, back then, but it is what it is. And we all kind of fit together. And you know what? I, I don't – like I ended up scoring the first goal, and that was a highlight of my whole <laughs> career there. And uh, 
I was a captain there and, and uh, with everything. And it was just, it was a good experience for a while, but the novelty wore off quick. And when you're losing, you're losing by nine at times. It, it's really disheartening for everybody. And, and you can't even point fingers anymore because we're not that good. We weren't that good. And uh, we couldn't compete with the division we were in. How was the city? You ever Magic City on a Monday or what? What was it like? We found every part of that city. Did you ever go? <laughs> did you ever go out in the clubs in Atlanta as a fellow baller and like run into Ludacris or run into like Atlanta Hawks who were like four Lamborghinis parked on the dance floor? Did you see the crazy ATL life? We seen it. We seen it all there. Uh, in that time, the 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 baseball team they were Braves, yeah. Braves were the best team in the league back then, and so we were going to the World Series and and tailgating and you know besides hockey was this like greg maddox john smoltz like that all year? those guys yeah we played golf with those guys we hung out oh, with those guys really? and then wow. the football team and actually the year that we were there 2000 uh the great or not great cup the uh, super bowl was there and uh you know it, it's it's actually a party city it's, did you see any like when you were in the clubs did you see rappers in there too like did you see pro- celebrities probably did i was you in bu- the name but you're in the vip like i assume you're I was there in, with germany Dupree th- there's a place called buckhead there and uh it is like it's like white av on steroids and uh so it's a huge party area so all the athletes and entertainers and everybody are there because there's like the vip scene of atlanta you just don't have an edmonton where you're like oh you can only go to that bar if you're like signed to a team or some shit right? i played yeah. for the thrashers we didn't get in the i was VIP. gonna say you're the, captain. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. you're the captain of the thrashers yes, that's like of course you did being an old lineman pretty much in atl isn't it not like uh we we were we were bottom feeders back then i'm sure you didn't get cheated does it double blow your mind then to watch the Golden Knights come into the league as an expansion team? You're like, what in the flying fuck are these idiots doing? So I, I, you know what? I think it's great for the game. Um, I didn't. No one expected it. There's no question. No one expected it. But it was amazing. You know what? Uh, Spud is a great coach. He is really a good coach. Um, he reminds me of Ronnie Lowe. He brings everybody to the fight, and everybody has to be accountable has to be in there, and they got some good assistant coaches. And you know what? They probably ended up getting the best goalie maybe in the league at, at that time with Flurry. Yeah. So he gave them a chance to win all the time, moved a couple pieces that they didn't think they would score. They were scoring them, what, 29 goals, 28 goals, uh, a couple guys that were fourth-line players in other organizations. But they had a couple surprises, but everything went well for them. And you know what? They ended up responding the next year. They had another good year. They're a good team. It drives Jay nuts. He was like, you'll see this fucking Golden Knights are bullshit. Fake news. At every milestone of the season, we're like, well, now what? He's like, I don't know what to tell you. All the way to the cup, I don't know what to tell you. Did you watch him and go like, why wasn't my expansion team like that? But you know what? If you go to Vegas for a hockey game, it, it's an event. It really yeah. is. It's no, you've never, I think the closest you can find to it is if you go to a game in Montreal. Montreal is, it's not a game. It's an event for everybody. And it's a different feeling when you go to Montreal for a hockey game than you would go to, like, let's just say San Jose. or Chalmers' favorite team. But uh, I think when you go to Vegas, the atmosphere in the rink is further than anybody other rink in the league. Like, it is that high. Like, it's amazing. And you know what? They get their players jacked up. Their fans are going hard. And it's just crazy, the atmosphere there. Uh, I was coaching with uh, New York a year ago, and, and when we went there, we ended up winning, but it was hard. Like, they, they came hard at us, and the fans were unreal. What do you think of the warm-up that they do behind the, the opposing team's uh, net around the glass and have those girls dancing in behind? 
we were there for five days. I don't remember anything. <laughs> for those of you that uh, in Vegas, the so on the opposing team's warm up side, so behind their goalie, all they see is these beautiful women and like Amazonian women and like those like what are those like the can can dresses? I don't know. And they're just dancing behind the opposing team for the entire warm up is like the biggest distraction you can ever see because it's mesmerizing. Yeah, they, they they did a good job of promoting that team uh, and during the games and outside the arena, like the the tailgating and everything outside is unreal. Like it's a big party outside for everybody before the game and they come in, they're half cut and then they, they get into the game and then after that, you know, they're on their own and they, they go from there. So, Does any part of you look at Vegas having a hockey team though and be like Las Vegas, super rich young millionaires, Markers at casinos, playing in the morning. This could, like, get this could be a disaster. <laughs> like, I, I, worry I, at all as a as a staple of the league. I think the the, pl- the players have changed a lot. Um, you know, they still go out. There's no question. They still go out. They don't go out like uh, it was back in the day. There's no question. They can't. They can't. It's the travels hard. People. Social media is killing all them going out because oh, yeah. they're going to get caught all the time. And I, I feel like the players are more disciplined now than they ever have been. Uh, but with Vegas, you know, you're still going to have guys that are going to have their warts. They're going to go out and they're gambling. Their guys are gamblers, maybe drinkers. They're going to be out there and things are going to happen. And, and Vegas is going to make it. They're designed for people like that to fuck their lives. Up. And you got look at look what's happening in Vegas with the football team coming in there. And then they're talking maybe a, a baseball team coming in and it go on from there. But it's it just, you know, I, I've been, been in Vegas a lot, but uh being there when I have been there, it's been a great time. Speaking of the craziness of your career, I need to ask about these 194 fights that you've had in the NHL. I am looking at this list of some of the people that you have squared up with. Where do you find the balls to go against a guy like Gino Ojic or Darian Hatcher or Joey Koser or Bob Probert? Are you shitting your pants when you're doing this, or is this just part of the job and you're doing what you have to do to stay in the league and do what you have to do to contribute to your team? I, I think at the start of my career, I had to do it just to stay in the league and prove myself. Because back then, you had five guys that did what I did in your organization. Now, you don't. Even, there isn't one, I don't think. And then it dwindled down from there. You'd have two or three guys. But in our, but I just didn't want to change the way I played. Um, for my 18 years, I, I wanted to play the same way. Um, and, uh, you know, and I ended up developing into a better player and, you know, getting some better quality ice time, killing penalties and, and had a couple good years. But uh, it, it's one of those things that you just got to do what you're not comfortable. And, and hopefully it's an asset to the team. Is there a guy that when you think back and you look back at all your scraps or maybe just kind of just kind of. Going back in your memory at all the all the memories, is there a guy that you just think I can't believe I did that? Like, there's that made zero sense. Well, there's a lot of guys. There's no question. It was probably all of them, 190, whatever that was the number. I don't know what it was, but uh, one comes from the like you know, Probert was always one of those guys that you're never going to win. There's no question, but you're kind of there for the you know him to clean up. But uh, I fought uh, Link Gates one night. And, oh. and, <laughs> uh, link. and I, I think he had a really hard night the night before. And uh, he ended up cutting me for 37 stitches one day in the head and face all over the place. He cracked my helmet in half. And uh, and back then, that's when they were playing the Cow Palace. The old Winwell got cracked? Yeah. 
Those things are indestructible. I think that thing would take a bullet. <laughs> so they were playing in the Cow Palace. It was their first year, and it was an old rink. Such a weird barn. The curtains everywhere. Yeah. Shit. And the dressing room, visitor dressing room, was up about 200 stairs. It felt like 200 <laughs> stairs. Of course it was. <laughs> On purpose. And after getting beat up and pretty much knocked out, you had to climb these stairs to go to the dressing room. <laughs> oh, my God. And it was, I think I might have stopped three times going up. And Sit the, down, just think about things or what? And then... I was, this is a little bit with the story with Link Gates is that I'm like, so I'm getting stitched up. Slats is having a meeting with the team and he pulls me in while I'm getting stitched up and he's giving the team shit. Said this is such an embarrassing, we lose to San Jose going on and on and on. And then he looks at me, he goes, and you, you ever <laughs> embarrass the organization like that again? <laughs> And he goes, look at you. You're all bleeding all over the place. You're all stitched up. He goes, here's 500. Go out and go get pissed. (laughs) (laughs) The cow palace is fucked up. Like you walk around in it and it's like, there's signs are like, this is designed for agricultural fairs in San Jose. And we built an entire arena for it. Oh, and the sharks played here for a while. It's just like a little tiny footnote in between like a photo of Elvis having a concert. And then there's a photo of like a shark. And then there's that. It's insane. Still on the top, like, like I love hockey fighting, and this is why hockeyfights.com is part of the, the nation network. Because uh, still, I, I, I love that. I love the old school way of hockey. Um, first of all, out of the team you fought against the most was the Calgary Flames. So, as an Oilers fan, that is like, that means the world to me. But thank you. Was there someone like, you know, you, you play a lot of guys, and you actually like, you know, you have a lot of respect for a lot of guys, but like, who did you like? Couldn't wait to play because you're gonna fight because you want to fight this guy. Like, did you have that guy uh, in your career that you always like? Couldn't wait to like try to beat the snot out of him. Because I see you fought in a lot of recurring. There's a lot of recurring characters in your on your fight tapes. But. Well, when you don't win too many, so you're not too eager to fight him again. But <laughs> but I think with Calgary, I I always thought it was probably Rob Ramage that I fought a lot, and uh, it just seemed like we ended up being pretty good friends. Uh, and I see him on the road once in a while, but uh, it was one of those, you know, he was a, a stay home defenseman, played hard every night, good leader. And we always found a way to, you know, get in a little bit of a tussle now and then. But uh, uh, it's one of those things like you, you move on and you go to the next game and, you know, and you have your three tough guys or four tough guys and they're looking down the list of the penalty minutes and they're like, okay, this guy, I'm going to go after this guy. And I, I think of, uh, I was friends with Brad May after he played in Buffalo, and he was, tells me the story that there was him, uh, Barnaby, and May, the three, uh, and Razor, yeah. right? And they would argue who they were going to fight that night. And that's not even right. Like, <laughs> you think of it, I had never looked at the penalty minutes of who I was going to fight. These guys were arguing who they were going to fight with at that time. And it was, I thought it was just crazy that they talked about that. Are you looking forward to a time when the Battle of Alberta kind of gets back, gets some of the teeth that it used to have? There was a period where it kind of, you know, tapered off a little bit. But are you looking, do the Oilers and Flames need a playoff series against each other to get that back? Well, I, I think it doesn't matter if it's going to be football or hockey. There's always going to be that rivalry with uh, Edmonton and Calgary. And, you know, we have the best player in the world. Edmonton has the best player in the world. And mm-hmm. you know what? And Calgary has... You know, some good, good players. There's no question. Like, you look at Monaghan, Goudreau. They got the best defenseman in the league this year. And he had a bounce-back season. And going back to him, uh, Giordano, 
he was my favorite player when I was coaching. I, I just thought he brought everything every night. And for an ex-Oiler to say it about a Calgary player, I just thought he battled hard, he worked hard, he led by example, and he was a really good leader. And, you know, he put that team together and, and everybody followed him. But I think that, you know, they Oilers will find a way – hopefully soon with Dave Tippett coaching them that they can make the playoffs and, and that could be a huge rivalry again. And and I'm sure that the players really get up for the games. There's no question about it, but you're not going to see what you've seen back in the eighties and nineties. There's no question because the players now are more skilled. There isn't that more physical opponent um, that it was back then. And, uh, you know, you're going to see more of a fast game, you know, hard checking and, 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 you know, you're going to see a lot more goals. You talked about coaching and Ron Lowe and what he meant to you. I'm curious about what the transition was like for you going from a player to now being a coach. Do you kind of look back at some of the coaches that you had and try to carry pieces forward with you, or did you try to approach it with your own style? No, you're exactly right. Um, I, I, I was lucky. I was... Um, it's, it's hard to get back in the game um, after you're done playing. Everybody says when you're done playing, you know, I'm going to stay in the game. I'm going to, you know, whatever. It doesn't happen that easy. And so I was very fortunate when I retired. I got the coach right away with Jeff Ward. Uh, I was with the Roadrunners here in Edmonton when the lockout was. So that we had an um, uh, AHL team here. And he was great. He was a great, he was a teacher at one time. And then he ended up coming, becoming a great coach. And now he's in Calgary. But he taught me, you think you're, you're a player that you know everything about the game, but you don't. You, as a coach, you start. You have to learn everybody's job. You have to know everything about the penalty kill. You have to know everything about the power of play system-wise, and then you need to know your players. As a player, you honestly just concentrate on your own play. There's no question about that. And you go on from there. But there's a huge thing in the coaching. When you become a coach, there's a huge learning curve. And I was lucky that I came in with Jeff Ward that taught me that. And... Um, I look at the coaches now that I'm a head coach. I look at head coaches that I had in the past and I take a little bit of what they taught me or some of them a lot and some maybe not so much. But uh, I feel like uh, if you didn't have those experiences, you know, you're not going to be able to do as good a job as you're going to do. So you've got all these different types of players on the team. You've got obviously a guy that like, how do you decide how you're going to deal with each one individually? You know, do you, do you just kind of, take each player individually and think about it? Or do you have a, you know, you got the leader, he doesn't need to be told how to act, or do you make a point of teaching him in front of everybody so the other guys see it? Like, how do you decide how you do that? You know what? Um, I'm just going to talk about my experience last year in Tri-Cities. Yeah. I had a great, great leader, Nolan Remco, and he's a Northern Alberta boy. And I never had to tell him anything. He just knew what we wanted, and he did it. And you know what? He had a great WHL career. And he's going to go to Calgary, go to university now. But he, to me, he's the ultimate leader. He was, you know, he would do whatever he took to win. It didn't matter. Like, but to him, he made my job a lot easier when you have people like that. But the same thing, you know what? We want the, all these kids to develop. There's so much more for them to develop coming in. Because you know what? If you draft a kid, he plays in the dub or he plays in the O, then he goes to the American League. There's still more development. And you look at the Oilers, they got Jones and Bear and the guys that are down there. Well, they're down there developing. And they're going to play in the NHL one day, we all hope, because they're good prospects. 
but it's all about development down there. And uh, Jay Woodcroft is doing a great job with these kids, of developing these kids. He's got Dave Manson down there with him and with a lot of experience uh, as a defenseman. So with these young kids, you know, they're given the tools and the keys to develop. And with junior hockey, you know, you're still, you're dealing sometimes with 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds. So on our team last year, we had four 16-year-olds. So, you know, they don't even... How do you manage a 16-year-old as you? Are you like, listen, motherfucker, I would do no. 400 no, pull-ups before you even got out of bed. Like, how do you, you can't, deal with a trillennial almost? You, you, there's no yelling anymore at players or, or barking at them. You can't. And I, I've guys told me that before I went there, that the players have changed a lot. And I just ended up being just myself. And, and if I felt like I needed to talk to them on the side, I'd bring them into the dressing room instead of embarrassing them in front of the guys. Because at 16, you're, you're, you can crumble. You can crumble. And, you know, the first person they're going to call is their mom or their dad or their, their agents. <laughs> their agents, <laughs> you little shit. And, uh, but we, we were lucky that we had no problems with our guys. And I, it's due to our leadership, which we you talked about it before, is that we had good leadership and they kept everybody intact. And we didn't have many issues last year. So... I have two questions, Chalmers. Do you mind? Do I have to ask Kelly Buckberger two questions? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Kelly, do you mind? Yeah, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I, I have a mind. feeling Chalmers has the answer to the question. <laughs> well, that's why I asked the boss of the You know what? Let me take it from here. What, would you, what do you need to know? <laughs> there are certain players who play for the Oilers. Oh, good. Good and start. there are other players who are the Oilers. When I look at, like, having been an Oilers fan for a long time, I look at players that come through the years, and, like, when you got dealt, I was supremely pissed because I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. Kelly Buckberger is the Oilers. When you came back for the the, the strike-shortened year, the, the year we lost to the strike, I was like, thank fuck, this guy has come home. What does it mean to be an Oiler to you? Because we had a, one of the things that drives Oilers fans nuts right now, and maybe not so much in the last year, but, like, the culture of the team... I don't think that, like, you hear stories about back in the day, like, if you stepped on the Oilers logo on the dressing room floor, you'd have the shit kicked out of you, and now it's, like, stuck to the roof, so no one steps on the logo anymore. But, like, what does it mean to be an Oiler to you? I think it means everything to me. Um, I, I didn't know anything different than an, an Oiler, and uh, because I came in and I, I played here for, I think I was in the organization for 13 years, and it, it, the Oilers meant everything to me, and uh, being part of it and the success we had and the friendships you make throughout your career – um, I still talk to one or two players that I played with back in, in the 80s, still almost once a day. I talk to Mark Lamb every day. I talk to Mac T probably every second day. And uh, so you, you have these relationships with players, and you never forget it. And, um, <clears throat> and Mark had a, a short career with the Oilers, but he still considers himself an Oiler. And he, he moved on to different organizations, but he still, Oilers is his team. And with me, uh, I think we're all very loyal to the others. I think that, you know, I'd love to come back and coach the others at one time, but you know, I had my chance here with, uh, uh, I think I went through five coaches. Yeah. I, I think maybe more. I have no idea. You were the only one that stuck yeah. around for a bit. Then. Don't worry. We'll get stable and you can come back. We're, we're working so, on that. And, uh, it, it's one of those things that, you know, my goal is always to come back here. I, I live here. Um, and, uh, I would love to coach the Oilers at one day, but I'm I'm not ready for it yet. I'm, I'm you know let's go spend my time and coach the kids and and move to different directions. But you know my goal probably is there's no question is that I'd like to coach the Oilers one day. If you're sitting down with a kid, let's say theoretical situation, and, and you're like you just got drafted by the Oilers, you've arrived from 
Northern Europe, if you're from Russia, you're Yakupov, you're from the middle of fucking nowhere. You may not even have heard about the Oilers except for the 80s Oilers. Like, how would you explain to them, like, this is what it means to come to Edmonton where you're not on page five of the sports page, you're on page one. People are going to lip you off in a 7-Eleven for not shooting more of the power play. Like, how would you explain to somebody and, like, impart that this is what it means to be an Oiler? Well, I ran the player development for the Oilers for a few years, and I, I dealt with a lot of the kids, and uh, I... I you know, we can never forget about the past because it, it built Edmonton what, what it is. And uh, and with the great players that we had throughout those years is is unreal and, and unheard of that you're ever going to probably see that again. But, you know, it's a new culture with the team. Um, you know, having Connor where he is in his career, uh, we need to move on with this team and try and build this team. And, and you're right. You can't go to 7-Eleven without buying a Slurpee without someone taking a picture with you because they love their Oilers here. People love their Oilers. What you do matters when you're an Edmonton. Exactly. Player. And you you know what? Listen, if you're a bad person and you play for the Oilers, you're probably not going to play for them very long because this is a small community. Everybody knows who you are. So if you're not giving to the community and, and you're not treating people with a lot of respect in the community, you're probably not going to last. And you're, it's going to get out there that, uh, you know, you don't belong in this area. And I, I always tell, tell the players that, listen, I want you to treat everybody how you want to be treated. That's all I want you to do. So that, that means your fellow teammates, your coaches, and the community. And they look at me when I said community. I said, yeah, because this is a small community. They, they live and breathe blue and orange. They, they do, 100% they do. And we, to me, you know, we probably have the best fans in the league, and I've said this before earlier, and, and we do because they're loyal and they know who the players are. They know them. And you can go, like I played in L.A. for a while, and I lived in Manhattan Beach, and I walked down the street, Strand. No one knew who it was, which was great. But you Some guys love that, though, right? Yep, they're like, this is yep. amazing. I like the anonymity and the massive. I mean, you miss it once in a while, I'm sure. But you come to Edmonton, and you you can't like i like to go to uh a couple dive bars and you know go in there and hang Gas out bump? Eh. no i will <laughs> shut down Charles. what are you fucking about I, I won't mention don't make the- kelly barber tell his secret hideout shit oh this a shout out to franco's pizza franco's. <laughs> <laughs> great oh. pizza by the way oh yeah not bad no. we just there the other day great so pizza vlts are loose too I, I love people watching there at franco's Do people still come up to you like people come to you everywhere still yeah, and talk the, to you hi kelly yeah, how yeah. are you doing right i, I sit in the dive bar there and have a pizza or a sure. lasa- you know lasagna on thursdays nine bucks what a deal my, my other question, I'm like working myself up to this challenge because I, I, if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. We can make this all go away. But I think you're uniquely qualified to like be asked this question. Like, what has happened? Why have we gone so long since since the cup run of 06 when you were at the organization that year? Like, if you were to put a pin to like what happened to the program to derail it, what do you think went wrong? You know what? I, I don't know. I get asked that question a lot. And uh you move so many coaches through because you think that you have the right recipe for success. Every team does when you start the season with, and uh, uh, you draft players that you think that are going to change the organization and some don't turn out the way you want to be. And if you miss on a first rounder or a couple of first rounders, it's really going to hurt the organization. There's no question about that. And you know, you get the best player in the world, and you think things are going to change. And 
he, he does change the game for the Oilers. There's no question. And Drysaddle is a huge compliment. But, you know, you need more pieces to change things. And, and um, you know, I don't know what the right answer is. Um, I, I feel like every time uh, the season starts, we the Oilers, I, I would say we, but they have a chance to win. They really do. And, you know, uh, I'm in tri I've been out of his organization for two years now, but I, I watch the highlights every day of the Oilers, and I'm I really hoping and wishing that, you know, we have a successful year this year coming up, and uh, we find a way to turn the page. So you, you can't point, like, and maybe you can't tell us because Chalmers is here and he'll, like, repeat it all the time, but, like, when you look at that stretch of time, the 13 years, like, do you do you see things looking back that you're like, okay, knowing what I know now, if we turned left instead of right, is it a series of, a collection of bad players like I think one of the things that we're always trying to scratch our heads about is just like how do you have that many coaches how do you have that many different players and not be able to put together a golden knights island of misfit toys and make it to the second round I, I don't have an answer for you because it seemed like in the years that I was coaching here uh, assistant coach here uh, we had every first rounder all the time and first pick and uh with Taylor and uh uh, Yakupa, Yak, Yak went yep. what? Number one, yeah, yep. the Nuge, yep. And you know what? You think you get you're getting the best player at all the time, and uh, you think that there's that one player is going to turn you around, but it doesn't. It takes a while, and they have to gel together, and they have to build a culture to like a winning culture, and and it has to be. You have to have maybe maybe at that time they didn't have good senior leaders at that time, and maybe they could have had a couple older guys that had won before to come in. And maybe give them, you know, what it took back then. Um, you can have coaches that have won, but you, it's not the same when you're in the dressing room and you're part of the team. Um, as assistant coach, you're 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 supportive of the coach. That's it. Yep. So you don't really get involved with the players a lot. You can be the player's best fr- friend, but ultimate, you're the head coach. You know, you're the, doing the job for him. So I I felt back in those days, I thought if they would have brought in maybe a more experienced guy that played in NHL or played in NHL that had won, it maybe made a difference. You know, they brought in Andrew Ference later on, but it was probably too late at that time. Do you sit there as Kelly Buckberger watching young kids now and be like, God damn little bastards. If I was 18 years old, I'd be out there doing excellent. Like it must be hard because you're such a heart and soul player to coach kids and be like, why don't you block a shot with your face? You little fuck face. Well, the, listen, the, the, every, every player has their own character. Yep. And I feel like you have to have different characters throughout your whole team for you to win. And everybody has a role. And I really feel, I, I tell my team this all the time in Tri-Cities, that everybody's a leader. There's no question. You wouldn't have got this far into the WHL if you weren't a leader in some sort. Like you might have been a leader in your minor hockey team, your midget team, whatever. But you found a way to make the WHL. So you, you got leadership qualities. So I, I always felt that, for us to win in Tri-Cities, everybody had to lead by example. Um, we didn't have anybody that used to shoot their mouth off because we, right from the start, we said that we never quit. That was our motto. We'll never quit. And so with uh, Brian Peller and myself, which is my assistant coach, we built a culture with the leaders there, and everybody bought in. And uh, that's how I feel like with a winning team and uh, an NHL team, if everybody buys into what the coach is selling and the organization is selling, you have a chance to win. So what does it look like? Sorry to interrupt, Bag Milk. I just want to get, finish this off. Like, if you're sitting in the Thrasher's dressing room and you're like, oh boy, we got some hardware problems here. We don't necessarily have all the equipment that we need to participate. 
do you actually see people tune coaches out and just be like, yeah, that's not really going to be happening for me? Like, what does it look like between a room that has bought in and hasn't bought in? Well, it's it's hard to put Atlanta in that area because, listen, we there was a lot of guys that came from the AHL that played. Half our team were AHL players, and half of them were fourth-line players in the NHL because back then you weren't giving up your top six forward yeah. to come and play. And so we had a lot of misfits. Uh, we didn't, I, I can't remember how many goalies we went through. It, it was crazy. I think we went through 12 goalies or something like that throughout the season. So putting Atlanta, <laughs> put Atlanta in that area is not great. Fair enough, not fair, fair enough. enough. Uh, and you know what? Uh, shout out to our coaches there, like Kurt Fraser. We had, uh, he, you know, he had success in the IHL with uh, Orlando. Yeah. They won the championship. And then he come and coach Island, and it was hard for him. It really was, or not down um, the Thrashers, and it was really hard for him. I just remember him punching brick walls, and I'm like, that man is the toughest man I've ever met. Like, <laughs> but uh, you know, I I can't put them in that category. But a room though, that like a room that buys in, and a room that doesn't buy in, maybe more skilled. And like, Atlanta wasn't the right example. Like, just is it a lot of little things that you're sitting there in the room? You're like, oh shit, people haven't bought in. Is it people like the, the senators on the road at the dumb Uber guy lipping the coaches off? Like, what do you like, what are all the little differences that you can see between a room that's bought in and doesn't? Yeah, you, you don't want that. There's no question what you just mentioned, but I don't even want to talk about them, but I always felt with the Oilers, you know, the leadership comes from right from the top. And in our day with Peter, you know, I love Peter. I, I I still talk to him when I go to uh, Palm Springs and go golfing. Uh, you go golfing with Peter Fockington when you go to Palm Springs? Well, not anymore because he can't see. He, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he's, he can't see very well. But oh. I, I spend time. I'll go for a couple of drinks with him. And uh, But for us back then, he was great. I know he, the community, it's not their favorite person. He got his, remember, he came back, he got his cheer. Yeah. Right? New Oilers but, fans, I think, have made peace with Peter Fockington. If you know Peter... He can be a good friend. If I walked into a bar in Palm Springs and saw you and Peter Pockington sitting there shooting the shit, I'd be like, I need to come to Palm Springs more. There's a lot of Oilers stuff going on down here. This is something else. <laughs> Coming back to yourself, you mentioned that a goal of yours is to come and coach the Edmonton Oilers. And I'm curious. You said you, you still have some stuff to learn. So my question is, as a guy who played 1,182 NHL games, you've been in coaching and player development for the last 15 years. What do you think you still have to work on as a coach before you can make the next step? I, I think it's everything. Uh, I, you can go from um, the way you deal with players, uh, to get the best out of your players, um, system work, to um, changing um, in mid-stride of the game. Uh, you know, uh, there's so much more. Like, you think that you have it all, and, you know, some days when you're winning, you, you feel like the best coach in the league. And then if you lose three in a row, like, God, I, I, I fucking can't win. I don't know. Fucking, I'm a bad coach. But so it can be confidence too. It really is. And I feel like, you know, I have a chance at one time to, to coach in the NHL as a head coach, but I, I'm no rush right now. Uh, I feel young. I'm only 52. I know there's been a lot of coaches younger, but uh, I feel I'm young. I've, I feel like I can adapt to the players. And I just got to make sure that my whole all-around game as a coach has to be there before I get the chance because I don't want to be a one and done. I want to have success when I get there. Was it weird coaching with Dougie Waite last year? Were you like, God damn, Doug Waite's a head coach of the NHL? I love him. I love him. I lived with him. 
Yeah. Well, it must be yeah. weird to like yeah. come back years later after we've yeah, playing together and be like, be guess what, yeah. Doug? We're in charge. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Unfortunate things didn't work out there in Long Island. Yeah. Uh, Dougie is just an unreal person. Uh, Dougie lived with us at, at our house for a couple of years. It was funny, that quick story about Dougie is that Dougie got traded to the Oilers for Esatikin, and he got traded in the afternoon in New York during the game day. And so they just changed shopping carts, and, and Dougie didn't know anybody. So later on, Dougie goes, uh, can I, you know, I said, Dougie, you come and live with us at our house in uh, in Edmonton. And uh, and we had two young kids back then. And uh, so Dougie stayed with us. And then after the season, uh, come back for training camp, Dougie goes, hey, Bucky, you mind if I shack in for a while while uh, – um, you know, get ready for the season and, and I'll find a place. I said, yeah, no problem. So two years later, Dougie moved out. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard, you're making millions of dollars living in my house. Yeah. And so then you go back and you meet up again in Long Island. It was just like, hey, we're getting the band back together. Here we go. It must have been a good time. It was. You know what? We thought we had uh, the right pieces. There's no question. Um, we did, We got off to a good start. We really did. And then we... You know, we crumbled. We we really did, and uh, you know, it, it's all blame to the to the coaches. We feel like we we thought we were doing the right thing. Um, at times, we were pressured to do other things that we didn't want to do that we had to do, and we should have stuck to our guns. Chalmers, you just came back in the room from a quick mid interview pee, which I respect. Two absolute beauties, and we're going to end off our nation real life episode with. Our conversation that myself and Bag Milk had with freshly retired defenseman Eric Greiba. Welcome to episode 141 of Nation Real Life here on the Nation Network. And we have a fantastic guest, a fantastic Mary Brown's pop-in. Joining us on the line is newly retired defenseman, former Oilers defenseman, Eric Greiba. Eric, thanks for your time today. Uh, I want to start with the retirement announcement. Uh, when did you kind of come to that decision and why did you feel like now was the right time to hang up the skates? Yeah, it was uh, probably about a week into um, training camp in Calgary there. And I just, um, you know, the, my body was starting to kind of, I felt, give out of me. And I wasn't, you know, I just didn't think I was going to be able to play at the level I wanted to. And, uh, you know, I kind of I wasn't enjoying going to the rink as much as I'd used to. So I decided to, for everyone involved, to step away and, um, you know, take on the next challenges in my life. So as an Oilers fan, Eric, it wasn't because the idea of playing in Calgary was so horrible that you decided to hang up your skates forever. Yeah, well, I mean, I put that, that jersey on for the first practice, and I was like, yeah, oh, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> um, Eric, I want to go back through your career a little bit, starting with kind of your minor hockey days. You're a Saskatchewan guy. That's where you played your minor hockey. Uh, at what point when you were younger did you kind of sit there and have the realization like, Man, I I think the NHL is like a real goal here. Um, I mean, the NHL was always a goal. I mean, I never thought, I never thought it was going to happen. You know, to tell you the truth, I mean, I knew, you know, I was talented, but I was never the best by any means. I was never a superstar growing up. It was, um, you know, my my dreams are like, well, if I, geez, if I could. You know, at first I was like, oh, if I could play in the WHL, that'd be great. But then I had planned, then I, you know, had goals to um, play in the NCAA. So, and then that, had, you know, and then I was like, oh, if I can get a scholarship, that would be unbelievable. And then, you know, I just kept kind of grinding my way through the different levels and kept, you know, I, you know luckily I played on a lot of good winning teams um, and just kept kind of advancing from level to level until I finally made it to the NHL. 
Was there a moment kind of, was it whether you're at Boston University or somewhere else where you thought, yes, the NHL is a goal, but this is actually going to happen for me? Yeah, I think that probably happened, um, I'd say maybe my last two years at Boston University. Um, you know, I was really starting to, you know, come into my own as a player, find my game, um, you know, find the role that I knew I'd be able to play, you know, at the next level. So, you know, I had good coaches that kind of um, helped me realize, you know, what would make, what's going to make me successful, you know, in the collegiate ranks, but also, you know, moving on into the next levels. You know, I'd coach, you know, like Jack Parker and um, David Quinn, they're the Quinn of the Rangers. So, I mean, they're, they were really instrumental in, you know, basically that, hey, you know, you need to play this style of game and, you know, those are going to be your best chance. You know, that's going to be the best chance to make it to the National League. So you eventually did make it to the NHL. You made your debut in 2012. Do you remember the specifics of that debut? And were there any moments that like really stood out to you? Um, I mean, the whole thing was a whirlwind. I mean, I know it was dash one and my second shift. <laughs> uh, so that, <laughs> I remember that pretty clearly. But no, it was that was a you know a cool moment. My mom was able to fly into town because it was a last minute kind of deal. So she made it, and you know my dad and my friends and family at home were able to watch it on the TV. And it was um, you know it was obviously a, a dream come true. As cliche it is, you know as it is, every kid dreams of playing in the NHL, and I got to do it. So in Toronto, you know, which was pretty cool as well. Did you have like a welcome to the NHL moment? Something kind of like I'm facing off against player X where you kind of looked down the ice and you thought, oh shit, we're actually doing this. I'm in the big dance now. Yeah, I think it was my second or third game. We, were, we went to Jersey. We were playing in Jersey and there's like Marty Roder at the red line stretching, you know, and you, <laughs> and I'm like, holy, like that was like, that was the moment. Wow. This, just got like real we're a podcast so we're allowed to get a little bit edgy not that i'm expecting you to say anything out of turn here but uh what about off the ice like as a rookie was there one moment where like away from the rink you were kind of just like okay like this is the nhl like was there a welcome to the nhl moment off the ice for you um well i had a couple a couple good ones i mean just the way you're treated right now right off the bat i mean it's you know instead of taking buses and uh, you know, you're on plane, private planes, and there's wine on the plane and beer, and you know, I'm like, holy shit, like this is, this is unbelievable. <laughs> and then, um, no, I had, I actually had a good one. I think I was, I was 13 games in, and uh, I had a, uh, our, our coach at the time, Paul McLean, called me in, and I had a couple, you know, couple, 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 there are a couple tough games and a couple minuses, and he, he comes and he sits me down, and he's like, uh, Greg, so how, how are you playing that day? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Last couple of games, I'm great. He's got to agree with that. And he's like, yeah, I just want to let you know something. I'm like, what? He's like, you've played 13 games, not 1,300. Start acting like it. Now get out of my office. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then the whole, yeah, and then the whole, the whole team got a hold of, they, somehow they found out about it and they started calling me Mr. 1300. So I took abuse for that for about a year. <laughs> When you get feedback like the coach from like that from the coach, what does that do for you as a player? Does it push you for, forward in terms of having to work harder? Did you talk to your teammates about what you could do to play better? How do you handle that? Yeah, I mean you're you're relying on you know I mean for me personally it was always you know a motivator. Okay, like well I have to be better. Um, so that's you know watching my teammates, talking to coaches, doing film. I mean always, especially in my my younger years, I did a ton of of film. You know, going over my game with like the D coach, you know, all the different situations, you know, what, 
and then you know little things have to practice like you know what's little little kind of plays you know those little pops in the middle those little those little plays that maybe go unnoticed to the average fan but make a huge deal when uh you know when you're in the heat of the game Moving forward a little bit with your career here in uh, the summer of 2015, you were eventually traded to Edmonton. Obviously exciting for us here at Oilers Nation. We all remember that. Um, as a Prairie guy, what do you remember about being traded here to Edmonton? And were you excited to kind of return to Western Canada? Yeah, I was really excited to, to be closer to home. Um, yeah, I was super excited. And, you know, I also remember at that time, I and mean, I got traded on draft day. And that was the day, Connor, you know, you guys got Connor. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I mean, this, yeah, it's a pretty big day in Oilers history. So, uh, you know, to to know going in, the, you know, I can be playing with a player of that caliber, um, you know, and obviously the new GM and, you know, knew everything. So it was, it was very, very exciting to go to a team that, you know, was making a serious push to rebuild. You mentioned being acquired on the same day as uh, Connor McDavid arrived. Do you have like a Connor McDavid moment, like your kind of first experience against him, whether it was just meeting him in the room, going up against him in practice, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I, I'm trying to explain him. It's like he has the cheat code to hockey. You know, if you're playing Xbox, he just has the cheat code. Yeah, he's got a game job. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's just not fair. Like, what? you can't do that. But yeah, and he's, you know... <laughs> Sometimes in practice, you know, especially the first few times, you know, you'd be like, okay, like, well, maybe he's not like that fast. But then after a while, I realized he was just slowing down for us to make us defensive and not feel bad about ourselves. You know, and then you know, he, he just, I think he just didn't want to, you know, he just didn't want to hurt our confidence or make us feel bad or anything like that. So he was kind of slowing it down a little bit just to make sure, you know, it was still pushing us, but like really wasn't trying to embarrass anybody out there. And you could, you know, you could tell that that good. Obviously, as an Oiler, you knew about the history of the team and how it had been a long stretch without the playoffs here. What was it like to be a member of the team that got the Oilers back into the playoffs and just your general vibe in the city at that time? Yeah, I mean, I knew it's been, you know, such a, a long period of, you know, playoff dry years. And, you know, that was a pretty special year, a pretty special team, um, you know, with Oh, you know, Talb's having the year that he had and, um, you know, making it to the playoffs and, and, and the way we made it in the playoffs. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was really special to be a part of it. In the city, I was obviously electric. Everything was, you know, everyone's behind the team. Everyone was buzzing about it. And yeah, you could feel it. It was, it was just, it was fun to be a part of that whole situation and, and just feel that energy through the team, through the fans, through the city. It was, uh, it was a really special year. I remember this moment when the, the game you guys finally clinched against the LA Kings. I, you scored that game. I think it was the winning goal as well. Um, when you look back at career, uh, your career, obviously you were a defensive defenseman, but is there one big goal in your career that like really stands out to you? I think that has to be it. <laughs> you know, a playoff, clinch, a playoff clinch, or clinching goal for, you know, for the Oilers. That was... Um, yeah, I never thought I'd be able to say I, I could put that one on my resume, but uh, um, yeah, that was that would definitely be the biggest goal of my career. Your first NHL goal came on March twenty third, two thousand thirteen, against the Tampa Bay Lightning. What did you do with the puck? Um, I jumped up in the play, and there's a kind of like a three on two, and Kyle Turris uh, fed me a, a puck in the high slot, and I one timed it, trying to go high, it went. On the ice, five hole, and I scored. Did you Did you that get was, to keep the puck afterward? Do you Are you displaying the puck yeah. somewhere at uh, Griba Manor? 
Yeah, there's a there's a puck somewhere here in a plaque, and we don't really show too much of that stuff off. Um, I like more having deer heads and turkey fans on the on the wall. But um, yeah, no, that's that's in here, and uh, yeah, that was a definitely a memorable goal too. But I still think that that playoff clinching goal was was more uh, more memorable. Sticking with your time in Edmonton, do you have a memory just from being an Oiler or being in the city that kind of stands out to you in your you know almost three years here? Oh, it's it's tough to put to pick out one. I mean, I my wife and I came. We like truly love living in Edmonton, um, getting to know all our different neighbors and, and having such great teammates and staff. There's uh, there's really tough to actually pick one moment because we truly did enjoy enjoy living there. We still have a lot of friends on the team and a lot of you know friends from the old neighbors and, and other people around the city. So it's. Uh, I really, I really couldn't pick one just because it was, it was just such a an overall enjoyable experience for for both of us. I think we would be remiss if we didn't ask you about grilling with Griba and your passion for barbecue. I'm a single guy myself, Eric. I'm looking for maybe some help. What would be a go-to dish that I could make to impress a lady? Ooh, Jesus, a single guy. Yeah, you um. You know what? I mean, if you're not that talented on the grill, I'd do a split chicken. I'd just cut, take a full chicken. I'd cut the back out of it, uh, flatten it, season it, put it on your barbecue for, I don't know, until it hits your 165-degree internal temperature, and you're going to have a nice crispy skin and a nice, I don't know, easy show-off dish. I hope That'd all of them. That would be... Yeah, go ahead. I can see myself getting more dates already. Go ahead, Tyler. I was going to say, I hope our 13 listeners are writing that one down. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Anyone who uh, follows you on Instagram, Twitter, social media, I think they kind of know the answer to this question, but I want to ask it anyways. uh, What do you kind of have planned here for life after hockey? Yeah, I mean, right now I'm trying to hunt as much as physically possible and spend time with my family. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely my passion is, you know, my passions, a lot of my passions are in the outdoors and I plan on uh, doing as much as I can in uh, the outdoor industry and, um, you know, you know, and spending time in, uh, in the outdoors. The hunting, the outdoors and all of that, was that something that you were just kind of raised on and grew up on or did it become a passion later in life? No, I was raised as, as an outdoorsman, um, you know, I remember all the years hunting and fishing with dad and it was just such a huge part of our lives and um you know my dad's a good cook as well so it kind of came naturally to me to uh you know hunt and fish and, and cook what we cook what we what we kill so it's uh it's a cool kind of circle of life thing that you know we take pride in doing and um you know it definitely you know definitely my my main passion mixing your two passions together your your time with the oilers and your love of hunting which of your teammates, let's just throw a scenario there, if you're putting them in the bush by themselves, which of your former Oilers teammates would be able to survive and make it out of a weekend alive? Oh, I mean, that's, I mean, you got to take Hendo. Matt Hendricks would definitely be, he'd be the guy. We'd go hunting together, and he's he's outdoors. He, uh, he, he loves the woods, and he loves the fish. So Hendo would be definitely the one to, uh, to survive out of all of them. Any guys that have no chance at all? Darnell Nurse. <laughs> I'm gonna go out there and say, hey, there she's not gonna make it. No, he's just not an outdoor guy. You're just not a, <laughs> or you don't trust his abilities in the bush. I don't know if I'd trust his bushcraft. I mean, if you know, to show me a good time in Toronto, I'll trust Nursey. But in the uh, in the bush, I don't think so. 
So now you're, like you said, you're going to focus on doing the outdoor stuff and hunting as much as physically possible. Can you ever at any point envision a return to the hockey world? Um, I'm not sure. I think at this point I'm, I'm, it's not in my foreseeable future, but, uh, you know, that being said, things can change and uh, opportunities can arise. But at the moment, I'm just going to focus on, focus on my family and spending time with them and, and spending as much time in the outdoors as possible. We're recording this podcast right now for OilersNation.com, but we also have HockeyFights.com in our network as well. I'm looking at your fight card on Hockey Fights, and you fought some big, big boys. I'm just curious what you think, as somebody who's done the job, where is hockey's or uh, fighting spot in hockey? Is there still a place for it? Yeah, 100%. You you can't get rid of... You can't get rid of fighting. Um, You know, it's a way for us to police ourselves um, you know, and to hold players accountable to act the right way, and um, it's you can't you, you can't get rid of fighting. And, and you know what, fighting's already kind of taking itself out of the game a little bit. Well, actually, you know, quite a bit. But you can't take it out because you know, guys, guys need to know that if there are repercussions to certain actions out there. So, um, and if you take that fighting away, I think you're going to be getting into um, you know, a lot more dirty situations and. Um, then that's just not good for the game. Looking through your fight card, is there one Tilly that really, really stands out to you, whether it's like uh, you remember it because it was in a big moment or you remember just looking at the guy you're scrapping and being like, oh, I can't believe I'm fighting this guy? Yeah, I mean, fighting Ryan Reeves wasn't exactly a pleasant uh, situation. (laughs) The guy's pretty nailed. So, um, yeah, he was definitely one that I wasn't, looking forward to fighting and didn't do too well in it either. So it's, uh, that, that was one where, you know, it's cool to be able to see you follow a guy like that, but it wasn't uh, the most enjoyable experience. Well, we'll go maybe a couple more minutes with you here, Eric. Uh, you played a handful of years with the Binghamton Senators in the American League. Um, a, a couple more games towards the end of your career in the AHL as well. But do you have any, like, stories that you just look at and go, man, that is like the cliche minor sports story from your time in Binghamton? Um, yeah, there's just a few of them. I remember the one game we were, uh, oh, we were in Syracuse. And we had big Frankie Lassard on our, our team, big lefty, and then uh, they had John Morasti, and obviously two super, super heavyweights. And we're in the first period, and they both, they fight, and, and big and Frankie on our team there, he, uh, like, he re-heard his hand that he broke earlier in the year. And, uh, we're asking want to fight him again, like in the second period or third period or something. And, you know, Frankie just kept, you know, saying no, 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 no. And then a couple shifts later, Frankie like kind of tripped him in the neutral zone or something. And so then that was it. So then they squared off there and no one, neither one of them was like going into like engage. And finally, like, and like Morassi wanted to fight, but you could tell Frankie kept backing up because of his hand. He really didn't want to fight. But so <laughs> Morassi started taking off his shoulder pads and like whipping them off Frankie's head. And I'm just sitting there on the bench, and I'm like, what is going on right now? <laughs> it's like, like, where am I? This is unbelievable. But no, that was, uh, that was definitely the, the most kind of American League, minor league moment that I can, uh, that I can remember. And I'm hoping you can break a tie for us here, Eric. Over the past few weeks on this very podcast, a couple of Tyler and I's co-hosts have been arguing about a fishing contest and whether or not chumming the waters for a volume fishing contest would consist of, uh, would count as cheating. 
where do you stand on chumming the waters when you're fishing? That is cheating. You can't do that. There we have it. This is a tiebreaker. Eric Griba defined <laughs> cheating. And I think that's a perfect spot to, uh, to end this off, Eric. We really appreciate your time today, man. You were a fan favorite when you were in Edmonton. So I know a lot of fans are going to look forward to uh, hearing from you. So thanks for your time and enjoy retirement. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I felt like it was fitting to end on the interview that had Chumgate in it. And that was probably the event of the year. Um, a great debate. No one knows if Chalmers or Jay was in the right or who was in the wrong or how many chums are fishing. I don't give a fuck. Um, I really want to put that behind me. So thank you for tuning in to the Nation Real Life episode and spending an hour of your Christmas season with me. We'll be back next week with a freshly recorded episode with plenty of Oilers talk and plenty of stories of shenanigans from the holiday season. From all of us here at Oilers Nation, the Nation Network, and the Nation Real Life podcast, thank you for being a part of things over the last year, and we're excited for what 2020 holds. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.